0: This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Gail Rose and Ahanu.
1: Everyone, welcome to our show today on this lovely morning. Ahano, this morning I cannot say we're in San Diego. I know, doesn't it make
2: such a wonderful change to be in a different place?
1: Yeah, I think just for our listeners, so they don't have to hear me say it's another wonderful, beautiful day in San Diego, but I do have to say it's a beautiful day in Santa Barbara. Ahano,
2: and boy, does that make a difference, doesn't it? A short few miles away, and a whole different energy.
1: It is whole different energy, whole different atmosphere, and uh, Ahano and I are here for the weekend because we will be on a radio show later today. Oh, not a radio show, a television show calling called "Bridging Heaven to Earth," and it was. Uh, we're looking forward to that. It's our first actual TV show, Ahano, but I find myself being all concerned about what I'm wearing and if my toes are done and my fingers are done and all of that stuff that I don't have to worry about on these shows, Hanno. Do
2: you know what I found was interesting about this place, Santa Barbara, California, was that it actually was the movie-making capital of the world in the early 20th century. And it was where Charlie Chaplin built a hotel and Jimmy Cagney owned a wharf and Laurence Olivier married Vivian Lee, and John and Jackie Kennedy had their honeymoon. Now, there's miles of palm-lined beaches. It's absolutely gorgeous. Really, really so different from the energy of San Francisco or Los Angeles or, indeed, San Diego. But I have to tell people about a little dream I had last night, Angel Rose.
1: Oh, oh, not the first one, I hope.
2: (laughs) I know. I was almost a, a sex slave last night in my dream. And the reason I'm saying it is because we have got an absolutely wonderful discussion today with a marvelous guest called Miss Timia Eva Nagy and she's talking to us about human trafficking and this is going to be riveting folks stay tuned she was born in Budapest Hungary and is the daughter of a local policewoman, and she's not only a survivor of human trafficking but also a speaker and social advocate on behalf of human trafficking worldwide but before we get to speak to Miss Nagy about her horrific experiences in human trafficking, we gotta make a couple of little announcements. Angel Rose is doing a training program on the 22nd of of February, training people how to read the Akashic Records. This is something that you really can't miss. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You can become a practitioner afterwards, learning to read your own records and those of your clients. Angel Rose, do you want to give us a little discussion about that?
1: Well, I have my own way of getting into the Akashic Records. I Mm -hmm. was taught officially some years back, but since then... by being in the records, the Akashic field, which is the library of creation, really. You know, I found that certain things about the way I were taught weren't necessarily the way it is. So I'll be teaching my own method of how to get into the Akashic records, and it'll be a weekend with lots of practice. So if you're interested in that, do email me at angailrose at com. That's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E at com.
2: And we have also got other news. Angela Rose is motoring along very nicely with her book. Her second book, actually, called The Nature of Reality, and you can pre-order that at thenatureofreality.info. Her first book, A Time of Change, is available at atimeofchange.info. And my own book, The Reincarnation of Columbus, will be out shortly. I'm not the one that usually does the talk about that, because Angel Rose really does a marvelous job when she praises me for this work that I'm doing.
1: Yes, the book will be great. It's a little delayed, but that's because, uh, as anyone knows who is an author, things keep unfolding as you as you write a book, and then you say, well, I have to add this in and that in, and certainly that's true with my own uh, second copy. But Ohano's got a a date of February 11th to be finished his reincarnation of Columbus, so it's the story of the loss of his first child and how he as a man dealt with it and got through it. So do order that if you're interested in that. It's it very emotional, I do have to say. Very powerfully emotional. How do they order that, Ahano? Is it the reincarnation of Columbus dot info?
2: No, it's the reincarnation of dot com. All one word.
1: The reincarnation of Columbus dot com. All right. So Ahano is Is that it? Yeah,
2: we we want to spend as much time as we possibly can today discussing this issue of human trafficking with our guest. It is such an important thing, and Angel Rose mentioned emotion. I'm sure it's going to be very emotional also. So Miss Nagy's sex slave nightmare began 14 years ago when she immigrated to Canada in the hopes of fulfilling a summer position as a housekeeper or a nanny and earning a little income. And upon arrival, she was kidnapped, controlled and kept under horrible conditions and was forced to work in the sex trade in Toronto and the surrounding areas for three months until one day she miraculously escaped her captors. We're going to find out how she did that because that indeed was a miracle. And as a result of her experiences, Miss Nagy has founded the independent organisation known as Walk With Me. Walk With Me is a community-based organization established by a survivor of human trafficking to rescue and restore the dignity, freedom, and well-being of human trafficking victims by providing distinctive, coordinated, and comprehensive immediate victim services in Ontario. And within the last two years alone, her organization has assisted over 150 victims of human trafficking. My God, can you imagine those numbers? and she continues to assist these victims, as well as new ones, every day. Timia Nagy has a true passion for providing training to law enforcement agencies, schools, organizations, and service providers so they may be able to effectively identify victims of human trafficking. She has provided training and worked with many agencies in Canada, the United States, and Europe, including but not limited to RCMP, the FBI, the FBI, major drugs and vice units, and federal judges in the United States. And she has trained and assisted over 60,000 officers and law enforcement personnel across Canada since the year 2009. So let's bring on Miss
1: Timia Nagy. Hi, Timia. Are you there? Hi. Yeah. Yes, I am here. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on today. We so appreciate well, the work that you've been doing and your everything that Ahano just read about you is is just amazing. So, where do you want to start, Timio? Do you want to go back and tell more of your story, or where would you like to start with this today?
3: Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. And just uh, listening to my bio, it just sometimes make you feel like, wow, I did all that. <laughs> And it, and then when you listen to other people telling your story, it's like, wow, that does sound horrible, doesn't it? Uh, but then when you live in it, it's not. I don't know. It just sounds. It feels different, I guess. So every time I hear um, being introduced, I always feel like a little bit of a reflection. But um, I don't know. I'm I'm happy to start my story from when I escaped, eventually. Well, actually, tell um, us how you were but, kidnapped um, in
2: the first place, Timia. Can you start there? Well, what actually happened when you arrived in Toronto?
3: So basically, like you said, I came to think that I'm going to work for three months as an or a housekeeper. And when I got to the airport, there was problems with my paperwork. So the immigration didn't really want to let me stay in Canada. And they held me for six hours. Then I I was let out. And the immigration told me that the contract that I sent, signed in Hungary that was in English, and at the time I didn't read English, it actually said that I am coming to become an exotic dancer. And that was the first time I heard that. And I just told them that that's gotta be a mistake. That's not why I'm coming. So I met at the airport. I was picked up by the the three gentlemen that was named in my. Um, contract and they took me to a nearby motel and they pretty much told me that they had to pay a lot of money to get me out of immigration and that this is a business that business that they are running here and it is my fault that I'm not getting the proper documentation and it's going to cost them a lot of money so I I really need to work off my debt that I owe them right now, as like as of right now, I owe them about thirty five hundred dollars, and that they don't want to see anything happen to my brother in Hungary, and that they can't protect him there, and that I better just start to work off my debt.
2: So it was a setup from and the was beginning. That
3: literally within an hour. Yeah was a setup it
2: was a, a setup set from the beginning in other words th- yeah. this was already pre-arranged yeah. from Hungary before you even got to yeah. Canada right so it is indeed yes. an international yes. ring
3: hmm. right it was So then I was taken to a strip joint and I was really confused really tired it's been 23 hours I'm awake I don't speak the language I don't know what I am I've never been to North America culture shock, being scared, don't know where you are, don't know these people. And uh, for the first time in my life, I walk into an establishment like that because on the top of it all, I did grow up in a communism with the police officer mother. So I've never seen drugs or guns or I'd never drank alcohol. I've never done anything bad in my life. So this was um, it was beyond shocking. I, I shot Dan, I think. And then the first night in the club, I was sexually assaulted by the owner and everything just kind of went downhill from there. Um, We worked out of the motel or sorry, we lived in a motel. Um, We worked um, 20 hours a day. We slept four hours a day. We ate once a day. We weren't allowed to eat. We weren't really allowed to spend any money because it's not our money, it's their money. Um, We were constantly brainwashed, constantly threatened what's going to happen to us if we leave. Um, And that went on for three months. And within that three months, I saw some violence, not as much as people expected. Um, Some cases, violence is really bad. But most of the time, it's really just about brainwashing. So What
1: type of brainwashing, mean?
3: It's like... Imagine if you're in a different country and you don't speak the language and the only person who speaks your language is the tour guide. And this is your first time in that land and your tour guide will tell you, don't go on a beach between six to nine because um, gang members do the assassination on the beach. Well, you're not going to go on a beach because you believe this person because this person is, you know, the only person who can speak your language, right? Right. Well... Or this person would tell you, don't drink the tap water, buy the bottle, right? Mm -hmm. Not knowing that he's going to make money after every bottle you buy, right? And you could totally drink the tap water, but you don't really have a way of asking anybody if that's fine. So to us, there weren't threats, threats in a way, but there were threats too. But it's not like in the movies. It's like, um, wow, you did really well today. You made, you know, $300, but you still need to make an extra $200 do you think you can do that and I would be like yeah I'm going to try my very best and they would be like you know the girls that used to work for us last summer they said the same thing and be trying so hard to help you guys but you know somehow she just didn't make it and I would be like what do you mean and he would be saying well she's just not breathing anymore how about that or you see the Indian cab drivers outside of the motel and I would be like, yeah, he goes, well, those Indian cab drivers rape young girls, especially white young girls and European girls. They would take you and rape you and they would throw your body in the Lake Ontario. I've never seen an Indian cab driver in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And so the last thing I am going to do is to get in an Indian driver uh, who's driving a cab, right? Right. But at the end of the day, years later, you realize that all the threats and all the brainwashing they were seeing, they were just trying to control your movements. So I did not get in the cab when I escaped. Do you know what I mean? Those type of stuff.
1: Yeah. And how old were you? Or that the police will arrest you.
3: Um, 20.
1: You were 20. And you keep referring to us. So were there others with you?
3: Yeah. We had four girls in our group. And the motel I was seeing was full of Eastern European girls, and they all had um, traffickers. And the club that we worked at was full of Eastern European girls. So pretty much every girl was in the same situation, except we couldn't communicate to each other because we didn't speak each other's language.
2: And did you believe them? When when they say, I mean, I know you believed the brainwashing, but did you believe that once you had paid off your debt that you would be freed? Did you did you actually believe that? Yeah?
3: Oh, fully. Fully. Because I started working really hard because they're like, okay, well, all you have to do is work for a week and make this money and then you pay us off. And then for the rest of two months, you're already here, you're already doing it. Then make the extra money that you need for Hungary, because that was the deal. I need to came to Hungary, uh, Canada to make a lot of money for our apartment. We were behind on a lot of bills, so I needed the money. So I said, okay, fine. I'm already here. No one's ever going to find out. It's not like they are beating me. I'm going to pay off my debt, and then I'm going to make the rest of the money that I really need for home. This is not what I planned. This isn't how I wanted to do it, but whatever, I'll just do it because I don't want my brother to find out or my mom um, or anybody that I had a connection with to Hungary. So, but after a week, I know I paid off everything or two weeks, and they would be like, oh, okay, so today we needed to change the oil in the car. That was $360. So you're going to pay for that today because we need the car, right? Like, how are we supposed to get you to work if we don't change the oil? So it's only $360. And I didn't have any concept of prices. I didn't know what $360 is. For 360 forint in Hungarian, you can buy two liters of milk and maybe maybe two bread. Two loaf of bread. So I said, okay, I don't know what's the difference, but it doesn't sound a lot. So here I made three hundred sixty dollars in in a day, so change the oil. But then the next day it's something else. Or the next day it's something else. And just somehow three months later I still didn't somehow they said I still owe them. They take your money.
1: Yeah. How did you get away, Timia?
3: Um Eventually I started to realize that this is never gonna end, they won't let me go. And I started to I got a dictionary um near the club that I was working at. They eventually they trusted me. They dropped me off at a club in the morning and they they dropped me off at eleven AM and they picked me up six AM. Um, and that was every day. So I eventually slowly I realized that I'm only safe in the club. As long as I'm in the club, they are actually not here watching me, even though they said they are. But I kind of tested that and I realized that they're not watching me. So I got a dictionary and I started to communicate with the staff members in the club and I just pointed on words like threat, fake, um, help, um, they're going to kill me. So, uh, Please help me escape, so on and so forth. So the management and the DJ in the strip joint, they kind of got together and they communicated back to me how they're gonna help me escape. So one day, um, I started to bring more and more stuff to the club and, and started to hide it in my closet. Um, and um, but I had to leave some stuff in the motel so they don't so it's not suspicious. And then one day I just walked in on the front door when they dropped me off. I went through the club. The DJ gave me his house key. Um, the manager took me through the back door. They throw me in a limo and they paid the limousine driver and they give him an address. I had no idea where I'm going, but all I knew is that it's going to be better than what I am at now. So I ended up in a DJ's house for two days. So- I slept there and something so Beautiful and amazing happened there that unfortunately for the mainstream readers, I I can't really go into it, but this is the show where I can talk about it. Um, I went to sleep at his house, and I've never been in a North American house before and on a big bed or whatever, but I, I fell asleep. I haven't slept for three months. I've been raped. I've been beaten a couple of times. I haven't ate. I went down to 89 pounds from 125 pounds. I was just, I was done. And so I was obviously really tired. So the first time in three months, I actually went to sleep without asking permission. And I, I passed out. And I remember, I don't know how many hours later, it might be even a day later, I opened my eyes and there is this beautiful white husky with the blue eyes sitting next to me on bed and just staring at me. And I was so tired. I had no energy. I was so thirsty. And somehow the dog started licking me. So because the dog was licking me, I just had to get up. And I, I found a glass of water and a half of sandwich next to my bed. And so I drank the water. I ate the sandwich. And I turned around, and there was another husky on the other side of the bed, white with blue eyes. And they were just laying there. And I believe I slept for about three days on and off. Mm. And and the dogs did not leave me
2: wow. for that three days. Wow. But it sounds also... It
3: was so beautiful.
2: Timmy, Um, I, I want to go on to that experience, yes, because that does sound such a relief to you. But it seems also, just to backtrack a tiny bit, it seems that the the management of the club didn't even know your circumstances. Do you think that's a widespread uh, thing, that the, the management are just engaging these girls, not realizing that they're part of a, an international trap?
3: Yes. Uh, that is the biggest problem with human trafficking, that I call it as a ghost crime because it was designed for regular people not to see it. But if you answer to one of my training, after the training, that's all you're going to see. It's unbelievable. It's like buying new glasses. You will be able to detect human trafficking. If you haven't seen it before, you will see it after. And it is a hidden crime. It's called a ghost crime for that reason. And, yeah, no, nobody really knew around me that I was trafficked. Not even me. I didn't know I was trafficked. And I'm going to comment on that with another story. Uh, You're going to get the goosebumps. About a year ago, I present to law enforcement a lot. About a year ago, I I did a training to a law enforcement agency. It's called Ontario Provincial Police here in Ontario. And that is like your state police. And so it's a room full of people. And before the training, I always... A room full of uniform officers. And before the training, I always ask, how many of you think you've seen a human traffic victim? Put your hands up. And you see maybe two or three hands out of 100 At the end of the training, when I tell them my story and what to look for and what you can see, and then I ask them, now how many of you think you have dealt with the traffic victim and you didn't know? And then you see 70, 80 hands going up. So it's not like it doesn't exist or didn't exist. It has been around for a long time. It's just getting misidentified all the time. So at this training, um, this man, he's just covering his face. He's sitting at the back. He's a big, big officer, very strong man. And he's covering his face when I asked, Do you think you've seen a victim before? And he just wouldn't put his hands up, but he's hiding. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna get to him later. I finished the presentation, I go to the back, signing books, everybody comes up, everybody leaves. This man comes up when nobody else is around and he's crying and crying. And he's kind of trying to wash his face off and cleaning his tears. And, and I've, I've never seen an officer cry in my presentation. So I asked him, I'm like, well, what can I do for you? And he looks at me and he says, remember when you asked if we think we saw a trafficked victim before? I said, yeah. He goes, I saw you. I said, oh my God. what? He goes, in 1998, I was assigned to watch Motel 27, where you were, and, and doing a drug investigation. I was sitting outside of your hotel for that three months. And I saw you and your girls coming out every single day. And he goes, I had no idea that while I was sitting outside, you had gone through all that to- terror and horror. And I watched you. I was there. My God. And he said to me, how can I ever live with that?
1: Well, he didn't know, did he? So I said, "Yeah."
3: and that's what I said to him. I said, can I tell you something? You didn't know that I was trafficked, and neither did I. I didn't know I was trafficked. I didn't know what I got myself into. All I knew is that I got myself into it. I'm going to get myself out. I didn't know I was trafficked. And I said to him, and you know what else? Now you know, and now I know. What are you going to do with it? And I found out a few months ago, I heard from his bosses that he's in school doing presentations on human trafficking ever since.
1: Ah, fantastic. Tima, can I go back to after you escaped and they helped you escape? Did you ever worry that you were going to be found by the people that took you? And how were you protected from them finding you?
3: Well, they found me. Of course, I was worried, but they did found me. I was hiding in Toronto for a couple of weeks before my flight would take off going back to Hungary. And they did find me. And um, I did have to climb through some balconies on a eighth floor of a building because they were going to come through the apartment and they were going to break my bones, so they said. Um, so I escaped through the balcony and went to another balcony and hiding there, but they left. And then I managed to get to the airport, and then I went back to Hungary, and they came back to Hungary because I knew they were going to come back to pick up new girls. They were going to come and get 12 more girls and bring them back. So I went back to Hungary, and I did tell the police, and the police didn't believe me, and they really didn't treat me well at all. As a matter of fact, they also did inappropriate things while they were um, interviewing me. So the police didn't believe me. They also uh, violated my body in a way. Then I tried to tell my brother he didn't believe me and he was really angry that I didn't bring the money home uh, to pay off our debt for our apartment. Um, And my boyfriend at the time, who I was with for three years, I tried to tell him just a little bit, uh, but I was so ashamed of everything that happened to me. He didn't believe me. To this day, he won't talk to me. And, um, so, and then these guys came to my house, obviously, several times and they started threatening me over the phone that if I go back to the police, they're going to kill me and my mom and my brother. So, um, but I decided I just left. I left Hungary because I knew that, um, I have nothing left anymore. So I pretty much lost my life before Canada. And, um. Yeah, so I came back to Canada, because Canada is a bigger country. I had one friend here who was a dancer who offered me a place to stay, and I was hiding. I was hiding here, um, and eventually, a year later, I uh, when I spoke a little more English and I had a little more confidence, I went to the Canadian police, so... Eventually, I found out that the Hungarian police started an investigation on them. So because of that, they actually got arrested, so they never came back to Canada. And the Canadian police started an investigation about the club owner here in Canada, who was also part of it, who sexually assaulted me. So I know the Hungarians never made it back, and the Canadian club owner was taken to court by me, Uh, but the charges were dropped because the court dragged out for six years, and uh, there was not enough evidence by then, because the witnesses weren't here anymore. Mm-hmm. So well, that's how it ended. But yeah, they did come after me, but and I did have to hide for a while.
2: Timia, did you ever find out who it was that helped you escape? Who was the owner of those husky dogs?
3: I've been looking for him since I started speaking out, since 2009. The interesting thing is that, again, I did a presentation in that region for the police, and I told them which club I worked at and where I escaped from, and um, they came up to me after, and they said, oh, we busted that club. And I said, really, do you still have the documentation? Because I'm looking for the DJ. And they said they're going to look for it. I haven't heard back, but his name is Chris. That's all I know, and he's wearing a, he usually wear a country boy hat. But at the time, I didn't speak English, so I don't really know what kind of a person he is other than I trusted him by some weird instinct to go and stay at his house. And he was never there, or maybe he was there, but I was sleeping. But I'm still looking for him.
2: Wow. God, that's an amazing story.
1: It did, yeah. It Mm. took a lot
2: of courage for him to do that, to help you out. My God, that's amazing. But you know what I'm, I'm very, very shocked at? And that is the fact that the Hungarian police didn't believe you. your brother didn't believe you and you must have encountered a lot of that 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 because you said it's like an invisible evil that a lot of people don't know it exists. Uh Yeah, that must have been very, very shocking for you too. On top of the fact that you had to cope with this terrible experience you were having, you find nobody believes you.
3: Yes, and then losing everything I had. Yeah, I mean literally, and then of course... Hopefully, we'll get into the whole spiritual part of it, but when I gone through my healing, I look back and it's just so obvious how everything was just a such a clear cut like there was no hope for me to stay in Hungary there was no everything just every root got killed so to speak for me not to look back and not to want to go back ever again.
2: Yes, yes. Now, I have an uncle who left Ireland in I think it was 2 uh, it was 1908 and he never went back to Ireland and it was a source of huge regret for him. And I I wonder about your feelings for Hungary now, considering that you went back and you had that horrible experience. Will it be possible for you ever to go back to your to your homeland? Do you think that your family will ever connect with you or even come to Canada?
3: Well, the truth is, I have been back. I went back 10 years exactly after I left and the other truth is that I have nightmares to this day, once a week, twice a week about going back to Hungary and getting stuck and not being able to come back to Canada, which is yes. what happened at the time when I escaped from Canada, went back to Hungary and everybody started hunting me and I didn't know if I'll be able to leave Hungary and I'll get stuck and either killed or, and so I am just nervous to go back, but when I did go back, I was really nervous. Um, there was a lot of healing that happened, a lot of reflection, but um, it's just clearer and clearer to me why I was guided to come to Canada and live the second half of my life here instead of there. Um, and my mom came to uh, Canada a couple of times already. So we have a relationship. It's not deep, but we do. Um Things are unspoken, things just don't have to be talked about. Um, and that's that's where we are. So but I I don't the only reason why I still think I have to go back to Canada to do more healing, but but once I do that I don't think I sh- ever have to go there again. It's just not but that's just how I feel now. Maybe yeah. when I'm older I feel different.
1: Yeah. So, so, Timmy, I know this is, there's a lot to cover today that's so important. And I I would like you now, I do, we will definitely get into the spiritual part of this, the forgiveness part that is obviously so important. But can you educate our listeners on how to identify human trafficking and, and what you do say to young people who do come over to this country? I mean, what, what can you tell everyone that will help them?
3: But that that would be, um, hmm, to sum that up in the next minute, that would be really difficult. But the one thing I would like to say, though, that unfortunately, since my experience, human trafficking took a complete different term. It's, it's no longer, I mean, there are international victims, absolutely. But 89% of our victims that we served, and to date now it's 280 victims. are are Canadian girls. Canadian girls that are getting domestically trafficked and in the United States there are American girls, born and raised, American girls being trafficked coast-to-coast, city-to-city, state-to-state. And and there is the last number I read, and I'm going to say it, but it might not be right, is about 300,000 girls being trafficked in the states. Right, and they are all for sexual exploitation. It's a totally different story than international trafficking.
1: All right, and what is the age group, and is it only females?
3: Um, It's not only females. There are male, there are young boys that are being trafficked too, uh, Canadian, American, and international. Uh, The majority are girls, and for domestic sex trafficking, Canadian and American girls, the youngest age is thirteen. Um, however, we work with girls that have been sold, Canadian girls that have been sold at the age of six by their own mother. And uh, so the youngest is 12 to 13 and up to 21. If you're 21, you're getting a little too old for this, unfortunately.
1: And when they take these children, Timia, is, is, you know, sometimes you see these missing children posters. Do you think a lot of, the, the children that are missing are are actually stolen for this purpose.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I know there's many ways to dispose a body, but the amount of missing children that are there right now and the age group, it just totally fits into the trafficking situation. So... You gotta wonder, and most of these, not most of it, some of these missing children are group home kids or foster home kids, and nobody really looks for them,
1: yeah, all right, so before you were saying how you were asking at at a training how many officers thought they could identify human trafficking, and obviously, just about none of them knew how to identify that. Can you tell us how to identify that or or what you could say to anybody who who is um, stolen? Yeah.
3: So so you can separate the trafficking person, there's international trafficking and there's domestic trafficking. With an international trafficking, there are people that are being trafficked into this country or your country for the purpose of forced labor. Uh, working in a nail salon, restaurants, construction work, nanny. I mean, anywhere there is labor, right? Um, and the way you can spot is that um, how is this person getting paid? How is this person getting transferred or transportation? Is this person have the freedom of going point A to point B? Where is this person's documentation? Who's speaking on this person's behalf? And what do they look healthy? And that is the most, thing, most important thing. Do they look healthy? If you go and get your nails done and you're going to these Vietnam-owned shops, who's taking the money? Is the person looking in your eyes? Are they allowed to even talk to you? Uh, do you see them having lunch? Do you see them being able to free to communicate and walk around? It's just a certain body language, too, that you can look for. And constructions. who's getting paid? Is it the person that's doing your work or is it the some company that you pay and this person puts his head down every time he comes into your house and won't make any eye contact and won't talk to you and looks really skinny because he's not getting fat. So those are the main things that I would look for. Or the nanny. Is the nanny leaves the house ever, your next door neighbor's nanny, other than going grocery shopping and, you know what I mean, stuff like that.
2: Well, I just want to remind our listeners that we're speaking to Timia Nagy from the organization called Walk With Me, and we're speaking about human trafficking. You're listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on the Honest to God series. Timia, this experience is absolutely shocking to me. I I have to say, I never realized... It's the kind of thing that you see in movies, but you don't realise that it's actually taking place on the ground. And I have to say, I am absolutely shocked about it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really in, in. I can't put words on what I'm feeling as you're talking about this. But I'm also fascinated that you were able to hold your sense about you, that you were able to keep it together. And then you went on to form this organization called Walk With Me. Tell us how that happened. What actually led up to you forming this organization? And did you find people were supporting you and believing you at that time?
3: Hmm. Well, um, in 2009... I was engaged to a very, very nice man for five, four years who allowed me to heal, and he was doing well financially, so I actually, for the first time in my life, I didn't actually have to work for money. Um, I just worked because I wanted to, if I wanted to, and he introduced me to a book called Cry On. By then, I already started reading in English and so on and so forth. Um, I was about 26 by then, and so... He gave me this book, Cryon, and I read it. And then he said he's coming to Ottawa.
2: Oh, it looks like our line has dropped to Canada to miss timia eva nagy i'm sure she will reconnect in just a few moments but angel rose let's talk about this while we're waiting for her to reconnect this is uh, this is absolutely shocking information but obviously it's marvelous too to know that she has done so much with her experience and we will get to hear the healing part of it too but uh, in your experience have you ever encountered anything like this
1: i haven't but i've You know, I've often wondered where all of these missing children are going to. And and I think I do, my own intuition tells me that a lot of them are stolen for sex purposes or sold to other countries for exactly what she's talking about. And my only question to her is I did want to ask her if there are governments involved in this because I was curious about the level. So I would like to talk about that with her. But I do think her healing story is vitally important it is to her, and I hope she can get back on. Is she back on? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Uh, Good, I'm glad you're back. I'm so sorry. That's okay. It's happened before. Timmy, I have one quick question before you continue. I I just want to know, and I, I don't know if you can tell us or not, but are governments involved in this trafficking? No. Okay.
3: That we know of, but it just doesn't seem, it wouldn't make any sense, to be honest.
1: Okay, great. Okay, so let's go back. You you were engaged to a wonderful man who... Cryon book. And for our mm-hmm. listeners who've never heard of Cryon, it's spelled K-R-Y-O-N. And it is uh, some channeled information that was came out a long time ago and I think still, still comes out today. So you were given yeah. a Cryon book and you read the whole thing and then we lost you. So go ahead from there.
3: Yes. And then... We went to a seminar, a channeling seminar for the first time in my life. I went to that, and I cried the whole time. I didn't understand what was going on with me. And then because I didn't have to work, we lived by this beautiful house by the lake and he was working and I was just at home some and in a beautiful country setting, I just started to eat up any information that I could find. And it wasn't just cry on, it was just every spiritual teacher and leader within that uh, style, shall I say that. And I went back as far as, I don't know, in the 70s, and I read and eat and slept with those books. And interestingly, I first time I started to find peace. And for the first time, so many things started to actually make sense. For the first time, I heard information that I've been always very spiritual. I've always had a million questions. I always looked beyond the surface for my whole life from the age of two. I always had weird dreams. I I always felt like that, you know, there's a lot more to it than what we can see. But I could never get those answers, not in a communism, not with the police officer, mother, there was... Nobody around me who could nurture that side of me. So this was like a wake-up. It's like, boom, here it is. And um, that lasted for about two years. I did as much healing as I could possibly do. There was a a period before this man in 2004 when the court case was over, just kind of, I have to say that, In 2004, when my court case was over, I had a boyfriend uh, who committed suicide, and I found him myself, and I'd never gone through anything like that before, so that was obviously another whole eye-opener, and so I went on a spiritual path then by myself, but somehow I wasn't directed to all the information that I needed. Maybe I wasn't ready at the time, but... And then I met this man, and then I was led to these these um, um, readings and books and messages. And that was my healing process. That was where I, I just found my answers, and I realized that people ask me all the time, aren't you angry at these people? Don't you want them to pay for what they did? And I've, I've never felt like I have to say yes. But I can't really say that in the mainstream because they just wouldn't understand because obviously your people expect you to be mad. People want you to be angry. People want you to go back and fight back. But, and I am, I am fighting back, but, um, but in a different way. And to be honest, I don't even like the word fighting because it's not about fighting. And then, so that was the first part of healing. And then, Um, unfortunately we separated and his engagement breakup gift for me was to go to New York to book publishing seminar. I never really told him my story, but he knew a little bit of it. And he said, you have a story. I can never get close enough to you until you're able to heal yourself. Go to book publishing seminar and write a book. And I said, I'm not going to write a book, but I will go because it's New York. I mean, who can say no to New York? So, I went to New York and I really did not plan on writing a book. I wasn't there to talk about my story. I never said a word about my story for 10 years to anyone. I lived a double life. I lied about where I'm from or like how I got here all the time. I can't tell my story. So, I got used to this new identity, but it wasn't who I was. I wasn't ever true to myself. And I never really understood why I'm not fully happy. That's because I don't speak my truth. I never spoke my truth because I was so afraid that if I do, people will judge me. Mm -hmm. So I went to this seminar and I met a lot of people and everybody is like, so what's your story? And I'm like, I I don't have one. What's yours? Tell me what your book is going to be about. So that was a two-day seminar. I was, you know, I love American people, they are full of energy, but sometimes it's kind of scary when they just jump on stage and like, oh, what's your story, (laughs) you know, (laughs) their style. So two days later, they tell you, you need to come on stage after the seminar for 30 seconds and tell your elevator speech about your story. You have to, you paid for the seminar, it's part of it. Everybody has to participate. And I'm like, Oh, my God, I can't go up. I can't even speak English in front of people. I normally don't speak in front of people. If it's more than two people, I'm scared. I can't. Yes. But they forced you. Yes. So I waited as long as I could. Timmy as long as I can and I was the last one Tim
2: can I just ask you to pause there just while we take a very very quick studio break but I want you to continue on exactly right there speaking about how you started your book so just bear with us for one moment this is the Art of Living Well radio network
0: radio to inspire enlightened living You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Gail
2: Rose and Ahanu. You're very welcome back. We're speaking with Timia Nagy about the memoirs of a sex slave survivor. It's her book that she wrote. In 2009 she attended a book publishing seminar in New York where she met uh, retired FBI agent Jeff Lanza and he decided to support her work and help her publish her first book, Memoirs of a Sex Slave Survivor. And it's a story of one person's difficult journey into the underbelly of the sex slavery trade. And the personal healing and forgiveness that followed, and Timmy and Nagi hopes to inspire others to rise above victimization and lead joyful and purposeful lives in spite of difficult circumstances, and and is now living a life as an example of grace in action. This is an absolutely marvellous story. So they, uh, this was a book publishing seminar that you attended in New York, and they asked you to go on stage to talk about your your your, your 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 story and in an elevator pitch. So pick it up from there, Timia, and tell us exactly what happened.
3: So I went on stage finally. I was literally one of the last person, and you have 30 seconds, and... And I just stood there and I had no idea what I'm going to say. And all of the sudden, the top of my head opened up and I felt this really weird thing coming in. And it's as if it wasn't even me, but it was still me. And words just started to come out of my mouth. And I said, I think um, my, there, is a, there is a girl who came to Canada from Budapest, Hungary, thinking she's going to be a babysitter or a nanny, but she was taken kidnapped and controlled and became a sex slave but there is a happy ending because she's here to tell her story
1: and that's it well that would have caused some mouths to drop i'm sure okay so when did you actually write your book then
2: yeah seems like she's disconnected there again but i have to say angel rose that you know, many, many books are written out of a desire simply to publish a book, but this is a real story that needed to be told. And I think it's very, very important that we get hold of that book and have a read of it ourselves, because it seems that not only would it be a shocking story and, and hold your attention for that reason, but also the way she obviously turns it around from being a victim to leading a joyful and purpose-led life afterwards has to be an amazing development and growth in awareness. And that's what we're all about, isn't it? It's about moving from mediocrity to magnificent and moving from pain to joy.
1: Can you hear me? Yes, Yes. we can hear you now. Okay, okay, Tina, can you... I am so sorry. No, no problem. It happens sometimes, and we always just blame it on solar flares, so don't worry about it. (laughs)
3: Perfect. Okay, the elevator seat and and my expectation was that people were going to look at me and, oh my God, she's she's been touched so many times and she has fingerprints on her or, I don't know, I just, that's what I thought. But then when I looked up, I you could cut the air. It was so quiet. And then a couple of ladies started crying and then I got off stage and they started hugging me and that was the moment where I felt... For the first time, I spoke my truth, and it felt so amazing Mm -hmm. that it felt like a drug, like I I don't want to stop, I don't want to shut up ever again about my truth. And then I went back to the audience, and this man tapped me in the shoulder, and that was FBI agent Jeff Lanza. And he said, you know, I've never heard anybody so articulate. I've been investigating human trafficking. I present on human trafficking for five years, but I can never bring a victim with me because no victims ever want to talk. Would you like to come with me to one seminar? And I said I thought about it. So I came back to Canada after that, and I, I was a different person and I started to watch a video from Michael Bernard Becklett and he had a quote that just kind of stuck in my head and I started to listen to it over and over and over again and it was about a minute you speak your truth. The minute you allow to be connected to source, it will guide you, it will protect you, it will feed you and it will it will allow your ex- existence. You just have to let it. I never forget that yeah. and that's what I did. I dropped planning.
2: That was obviously a, a very, very important turning point in your life and you went on then afterwards to get an amazing number of awards. You, you got the Prime Minister's Volunteer Award, the National Emerging Leader Award from the Prime Minister of Canada in 2012. You got the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal in 2012 from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the Frederick Douglass Award from Free the Slaves International, the National Hero Award from the Parliament Member Joyce Smith, the Outstanding Victim Services Award from the Attorney General in Ontario, and the Outstanding Victim Service Award again in 2011, the Outstanding Achievement Award from Crime Stoppers in York in 2010. These are amazing, basically, confirmation that that turning point was the right thing in your life. T- talk to us about what it must have felt like to have people believe you instead of not believing you.
0: Um,
3: unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> it felt freeing, empowering. But, but this is the truth. By the time people believed me, I did not need them to believe me because by then I believed in me. Gotcha. Tell us. And to this day, to this day, I don't look for com. I don't look for um comfort. Well, not comfort, but I don't look for feedback from outside of me anymore. Because I know if things go bad around me, I have to look inside of me and see how I feel what's going on with me to create all that around me and i I am beyond honored and I appreciate every award and i i can I, and I look back myself and I can't believe how far I made it yet every single day I wake up and and I thank the source and I thank me or, like, the higher self in me. And every single day I ask, you know, to keep me grounded and and just just let me, just keep me stay true to who I am and don't let all this amazing stuff and all this attention and all this uh, glamour, which comes with it, believe it or not, um, to get me sidetracked. And just just constantly remember who I am and why I'm here, and what I do, okay Timmy that's actually
1: a challenge, Timmy thank you so much for that, but will you go back and and tell our listeners how you okay when you got on the spiritual path, did it, and you obviously there were some books you read that must have talked about you know how we create our own reality and things like that, so can you put the pieces together if you look back on on the experiences that you've had and obviously did you conclude that they left you to led you to your life work today and that that was a, a destiny of yours or or how have you put the pieces together of all those events into who you are now and what you're doing
3: i i'm still working on that piece but what i what I, I believe is that every single thing that led up to me being trafficked, every experience, working in a television, because I did work in a television before I came to Canada, working with people, always trying to help. Every single thing that I've been through that led up to being trafficked and included being trafficked, every single thing. My mom is a police officer. I grew up in a police station it was so guided that it's just absolutely beyond obvious. I was guided to come to Canada. And the part that I never talk about, but this is probably the place where I can talk about, is the love and the companion and the relationship. I've never, ever had a healthy relationship. I've never been able to heal that part of my life until I met man two and a half years ago and that's a whole other story, Um, an unbelievable story which we probably should write a book about but I do believe that he is my twin flame. We as a matter of fact get confirmation several times that he is my twin flame so there's so many reasons why I can say that every single thing that happened to me in my life was guided there, there was a reason why it happened. And obviously, I know I have a free will and I have the choice to change if I want to. And I still can. But obviously, I didn't want it to because now when I look back today and I look around me, everything makes sense. And I know my life can still change. And I'm sure there's a lot more in store for me. Um, but I believe in source more than I've Ever ever did I see how it works. I see the magic. I see that when bad things happen, they are not bad things. They are just things. And and that's how I live my life now, every single day. When I get attacked by other organizations or get bullied by certain people, I don't look at them as enemies. I look at them as thank you for coming in my life and teaching me this very important lesson. And yeah, I don't think I would be able to do what I do today if I don't have the spiritual background or the teaching or the learning that I, I I worked on for the last, I don't know, 10 years.
1: Yeah, because many people would would only be focusing on the victim part of this, the part of you that they would say was a victim in all of this. And on on one level, I'm sure that's real and true, but... How do you transform, and and this is a question because I know listeners are going to be asking this question. How do you transform, Timia, from feeling that you were a victim of circumstances and used to coming to the place where you can actually appreciate the experiences in your life for bringing you to the place where you are now how do you how do you transform that what's required of a person to be able to do that
3: um to be able to open to the possibility that it's not circumstances that you and your energy have a lot to do with it and I know this is the most difficult thing that I can never talk about publicly but I am saying it here because I know it's safe here and some people may get extremely triggered but when I started learning about this path I did realize that there is a lot of circumstances that I bought in my life from my energy the way I was growing up the way Hungary and the whole country is the entire country and the energy and its people were raised from the 1200s to feel like that they are a victim you, you feel like a victim anywhere you go in hungary and it is it's a mindset you grow up in it that's your normal that until you find out otherwise and when i came to canada regardless if i was trafficked or not i did not see that mentality here and i didn't understand why people don't feel so sorry for themselves all the time and why they are not so negative all the time. It was so new to me. So the truth is, yes, I was trafficked. It was a terrible experience. But the other truth is that it, I couldn't have been trafficked to a better country than Canada. And so at one time, I was, at the same time, I was victimized and, you know, beaten and raped and controlled and trafficked. But at the same time, for the first time in my life, I've seen a country that's actually lived in freedom and they free and they breathe and and they don't worry so much about everything on a daily basis. And they don't feel like a victim all the time. Mm-hmm. So while I was trafficked, I was still fascinated too. And when I went further in my learning, I le- realized that I woke up every single day for the first 20 years of my life and listened to from the news or tv shows or the interviews or just by going to work or school about poor me poor me poor us poor us poor hungarians poor you know who's gonna trick you today that's Mm -hmm. a mindset that so Mm -hmm. and when i learned about that that was me i bought so much on me not on purpose obviously but by not being aware so i'm not saying that if a woman gets raped, she butted on herself. that's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that after the trafficking saturation, there were so many other things that I could have done differently to be able to bounce back faster, but I didn't because I was still in a victim mindset
2: yes, I understand so yes
3: it's about and and the other thing is that I would like the the listeners to know is that what happened to me I own it that's mine I've gone through that. And that's my normal. Would I ever choose um, to be a mother who lost her child? Never in a million years. I can't even imagine how she would go through that. But she's sitting there and telling me that she would never choose my past. Yes. So all I'm trying to say is that it's normal to me. And so I know it sounds horrible to you. But it's normal to me. So if it's normal to me, it makes sense to me because I've gone through it day by day. Yes. There's a way out. It's just I'm the one who has to want to get out.
2: Yes, yes. Now, Timia, you have such a high profile now with your book on the marketplace out there. You do training All around Canada in the United States and Europe and you do training for the FBI and major drugs and vice units and for federal judges in the United States and so on you've trained 60,000 officers and law enforcement personnel across Canada with this high profile that you have now do you do you still feel in any danger whatsoever that you might be picked out again or maybe these perpetrators might target you in any way
3: Well, coming from a spiritual background, no, because if that's the end of my story, then that's the end of my story, and that's what I chose. Um, I thought about that even when I was hiding from my own traffickers, and this is how I see it. There's so many ways to die in these days. And I could sit there and worry about getting cancer, having a piano falling on my head, getting killed in a car accident. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Or getting killed by a trafficker. I mean, I have been chased by other organized crime while I was hiding their victim. But, but again, here's the truth. I could sit here and worry every single minute about how I'm going to die, if and when, or I could just keep on going and when it happens happens and coming from everything that i learned the transforming into the other you know place it's not such a bad thing so i'm only gonna feel bad for everybody i leave behind but if it's in the contract it's in the contract
1: yeah Timmy, how do you go about uh helping other women who are in that situation or other people i mean how do you even how do you even find them and how do you even offer help?
3: I work with the police. So when, because I train the police and then the police knows how to find them. So the police goes and finds them. And when the police finds them, then I get called, let's say at 3am from so on. So police station. And then we would go to the police station and meet the victim and, um, and have a conversation with her. um, Again, I'm still trying to figure out if it's my personality or if it's my spirituality or the fact that I was a victim. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I get this feedback over and over again from the victims that the minute I walk in the door, they feel comfortable and they would like to come with me. And so when that started, I established an emergency safe housing. So after I meet them for the first time, I explain to them who I am, what I've been through. And I tell them that I can't imagine how she feels because I didn't go through exactly what she's been through. But the one thing that I'm certain that she might be exhausted or hungry and she just want to sleep. And if that's just what she wants to do, I'm more than happy to take her to this house where she can stay for three days, sleep, eat, you know, watch movies, stay in a pajama and just relax. And then we'll talk when she's ready. And that's exactly what we do. We take them to the safe house. We buy them nutritious food. We let them watch Walt movies or whatever they want to watch and uh, let them sleep. And then three days later, and we stay with them 24-7. And three days later, when they're ready to talk, we, we have the conversation about now what? Where would you like to be? What was your dreams before this? Who are you? inside like who were you before you were trafficked and where would you like to see yourself in a while and then we start to we start to help her to get to the next level
1: or him absolutely fantastic all right how much time do we have ahana i want to know if we can get into her her meeting of her twin
2: yeah let's please go there we have 20 more minutes
1: Okay, team. Oh, up. that's my favorite part, and I was okay. never able to <laughs> tell anyone before. All right, go ahead. Tell that story.
3: Okay, so in two thousand and one, I worked at a, a establishment called Medieval Times, and I was a wench, and I was hiding. Obviously, I just I didn't tell anyone my story except my manager I knew. And there's just two hundred people working at this Medieval Times. There's horses and knights on the horse, and it's just crazy and I just came to, it was a year after I was rescued or like left the trafficking and my English is not so good. Anyways, I walk into this crazy establishment, people are in costumes, it's a castle. I'm like, wow, these people are really weird. I'm going to fit fit in just fine. And they don't really want to know you. Like they don't really, so it's perfect. You can hide. So months and months I worked there, I love it. I made a lot of friends. Everybody is just an odd character, you know, like their families are not here and I don't know. It was just perfect. So months and months and months later I meet this young man. He works at the castle. He's a knight. So we started dating. And then a few weeks later, um there was a guy who was a show manager at medieval times. He had a he was tall, blonde you know, very nice looking man, but he was married with two kids and, you know, he was a boss. So everybody respected him. He was a spiritual guru to everybody else. I never spoke to him. He was a boss and you just don't go up to the boss and talk to him. So anyways, weeks go by. And one time I started, I had a dream about him, uh, back in, um, back in the middle ages. He was, on a horse, and he had a daughter and a son, and I was a babysitter, and we had to run in the woods because there was witch hunting, and um, and I had to keep his kids safe. So I was on the top of a tree in this tree house with his daughter and son, and um, his son slipped and fell, and I, I jumped after him, I tried to save him, and we both fell, and he broke his leg. And uh, this, the show manager, who's the father in my dream, he rides, rides up in a horse and said, you know, you, you need to make sure you take care of them because I have to go off and fight the war. And I woke up. And my boyfriend, who was a knight, he came home, and I said, I had a really weird dream about this man, your boss, the show manager. He goes, what well, was the dream? So I told him. He goes, that's interesting because his son... Was taken to hospital and he had to leave the show early tonight. I'm like, he's got a son. He goes, yeah, and a daughter. I'm like, okay. Next day, I had another dream about this man, and now it was the 1400s or 1500s, and we were in uh, in uh, in his house, and he had a wife who was giving a home birth, and I was on the top of the ceiling watching the whole thing from like I was invisible. Watching the whole thing, I was kind of, I felt like as if I was a guide or something and, I don't know, maybe an angel, and I was there to calm both of them down. And they they couldn't see me, but I was there for the whole thing. I saw the floors and the house and everything and a little bit to their life. So I woke up next morning, I told my boyfriend, I'm like, I had another dream. He goes, that's really weird. I know his wife gave a home birth. I'm like, that is weird. Okay. Anyways. So, the next, so two weeks on a row, every night, I started dreaming about him. And the dreams were coming closer and closer to this day, these years. So I saw him in different lifetimes or I don't know. And the last dream was that I was in the woods and I saw this with a shack built in to the woods somewhere. There was no electricity. There's nothing, just a fire stove. And I'm floating, like as if I have no wings, like I have wings, but I'm invisible, and I'm floating into this shack. And this man, the show manager, and his girlfriend um, is lying on the couch and reading. And then I flew outside, like I kind of fly out. And so I told this to my boyfriend again, and he goes, you know what, you need to go and talk to him. I said, why? He goes, "You, you just need to talk to him. He's very spiritual, but you need to tell him this story. So finally, I worked up the nerve and I stopped him where he picks up the costume before work. And I said, I'm sorry, sir, but uh, my boyfriend said that I should talk to you. He goes, Yeah, sure. And I said, I have dreams
0: about you. <laughs>
3: he goes, Okay. I said, No, not that kind. Like, I just. So I said, to... I taught him this last dream. And I said, Matt, my boyfriend said that I should tell you this dream. And he went white as a ghost. And he leaned against the wall, and he looks at me, and he goes, um, "Can we talk after the show?" I said, "Yeah." So we talked after the show, and I told him the dream again, and he goes, "Oh!" And then, and in my dream, I come out of that wooden area. I look up, and I see nothing but land. But then, when I look further, I see a city, like, and it was in the 80s or something, 90s, 80s. So, and I told him that, and he said, in the uh, late 80s, I think, early 90s, he was in a um, program by Tom Brown, and he was in the woods outside of New Jersey, and he was with his girlfriend, who's his wife now, and they were living in a shack, and they were reading a book on a couch with the fire stove one day when he saw this girl in a white dress with the long black hair, and that's what I usually wear, white with the long black hair by the door and he got up, he come out and there was nobody there. So (laughs) the boy got freaked out. We didn't know what it was at all. And um, I, I stayed at New times for three more years and we had some talk, not many. We had some spiritual talk here and there, but we never really figured it out what it was. One time I bought him a picture that I saw in the store and it was a picture of a, a little girl and a little boy and it looked exactly like his kids, but I never seen them before, except in my dreams. And he was really shocked by it. But and that's where we left it. I left medieval at times. Um, my boyfriend, who was also one of his kind of students, he committed suicide in March, and his brother died a month later. Who also, I believe, committed suicide. So we tried to connect, but we didn't really able to connect. And years went on, and we started to reconnect again in 2000. Oh, and every seminar I went, I told every single channeler, "Tell me what it is, because I still dream about this guy. I see him getting groceries with his wife. Like I just get regular updates of him once a month, and but I don't talk to him. So in 2010. 11, I sent him an email and I said, I'm sorry, we haven't talked in a very long time, but I had a dream about you and I I just saw some stuff and he emailed me back and he said, I cannot believe how much you see, but that's exactly what's going on with me. Can we talk? So we finally met like 10 years later again and then we became friends and we started to, you know, read the same books again and then we went to a channeling session together And then we told the channeler that this is what's going on. Like I get dreams about him now every single day and everything is accurate. And then the man said that, well, you guys are twin flames. Like that's not a rocket science. Mm, I'm like, "What? twin flames, no way. So, and then we just, yeah. And then we were friends for a very long time. And then until we weren't, and then
1: became a couple. But that's, that's,
3: that's that story.
1: Yeah, he did get divorced in there though.
3: Oh, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, he got divorced in like way before we got in touch. Yes.
1: Yeah, so that's an incredible story. And, and now you're together. Yes, we are. And um, <laughs> it makes sense. Definitely we are twin
3: flames, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt,
2: yes. Let me ask you, Timia, about that. You know, you did speak so eloquently and so beautiful about how your your horrific experiences led to this joyful outcome and how you were careful to say that yes we create our own circumstances and situations and so on you choose them and you take ownership of them and you're responsible for them all and the we're we're of course very familiar with the whole twin flame concept angel rosen and, and and I are twin flames also and we've written uh, little e books about it and we make various posts online about the twin flame phenomena and it's a an, it's a beautiful thing, so we understand completely that relationship that you have now and do you think that these experiences that you had led up to? this obvious psychic awareness that you have now do you you understand in in other words a lot of people ask us in our trainings and in our workshops and in our radio shows and so on how do you become psychic how do you get to have these abilities and it would seem that in lots of ways tragic circumstances actually close us down but in your case, it seems to have opened you up. It opened up your heart. It opened up your crown chakra. It opened up your psychic abilities. Can you, can you talk to us just quickly about that? Because we've only got about another five minutes to the end of the show. And I'd really like to hear you, what you think about that.
3: What I see is, even with the girls that I work with, I, and I heard this before many times. People told me all the time, "You have it, you have it." They told me before this experience, and I was like, "What? What do you? You just have to believe. You just have to understand that you have it. Everybody has it. It's not you, but until you believe it, you won't see it. But everybody has these abilities. Everybody has the sixth sense. We are born with it. So it's. I I really just think it's you just need to believe it and once you believe it once you believe in yourself there's nothing you can't do and i think it's same with olympics and actors and I, like anybody who succeeded the only thing they did is just believed and they really wanted it so yeah i don't know if that's satisfying
1: Well, no, that is actually great because, you know, and I think the other thing here too is people who are uh, spiritual oftentimes think that if they're doing everything right on the path, that nothing tragic will ever happen to them. And I I don't think that's true at all. I, I think that, as you mentioned, you know, you go through certain experiences and you know, you may know a little bit of my history because we do have a common denominator between us, and yes. you know, I know that I know that a lot of my deepest growth actually did come through various tragedies in my life, and I, I have gone through a, a place in my life where I've said, "Well, I wonder why I, I chose that." I mean, I wonder why I chose to learn and and grow spiritually through tragedy instead of something else. But I think what I've come to, for myself anyway, is that those experiences allowed me to feel deeply at such levels that I think I probably did have a, a contract to learn compassion for other people and understanding because I, by going through the various things I've gone through, I've certainly become very, very compassionate toward others and Mm -hmm. i just i just think that that was my probably one of my lessons that i needed to learn this life was compassion for others and and to be able to understand people without the judgment you know that uh whatever Mm -hmm. somebody goes through you you just have the ability to feel deeply for them and love love them at a level where there's just no judgment really you know It's it's just what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. How can you help? What can you do? Sometimes what the help is that you just you just listen, you know, I mean, there's but for you yourself. too. Yeah, go ahead. This is to
3: kind of put an end to it in a spiritual way. Human trafficking is a symptom of that everything that's wrong with society today on so many levels that it's unbelievable. It's about family values. It's about uh, uh, um, um, loving our children the way they're supposed to be loved and protected. And everything that we kind of decided not doing anymore, is the human trafficking is the result, and the greed, and the money, and the not communicating anymore, not looking under the surface anymore. So I believe personally that everything that happened to me gave me, and and the fact that I have a voice, people listening to me because of my story. But the biggest lesson that I learned from this is exactly what you said from the spiritual perspective, and from my experience, my my human experience is that the answer is love and not being judgmental and not judging anybody, not the rich person, not the poor person. And as long as we have love within ourselves to give and approach everything, I mean everything, even the trafficker, with love and spirituality, I think I think we're going to make it. But... And I think that's why human trafficking is the second largest crime now because this is a topic where people, are they just can't be immune to it. You hear children being molested and people I hear it so many times now and they don't even say it, like they can't even do anything about it anymore. They don't even have emotions left to handle. But human trafficking, for some reason, it gets to people. So... It is a symptom and I think yeah, that's why I, I got here when I got here and, and, and I just can't wait to keep giving the love and and um and teaching people about not being judgmental, including myself.
1: All right. Well okay, I guess we have to end here now but but we will resume this at another time and pick up another conversation about family values and the effects on society.
2: No Timia, Timia, you, you covered some amazing points here today, the fact that human trafficking is the second largest crime in the world. We talked about your escape from human trafficking and how the club owners didn't even know that you were involved in it, how the Hungarian police didn't believe you and how your brothers didn't believe you. You talked and gave us some great guidance about how to identify human trafficking and how... The majority of the trafficked um, humans are 13-year-old girls, but you mentioned that some are as young as six years. You talked about the tragic situation of finding your boyfriend who committed suicide, and then you turned everything around in your own life and in our discussion today and talked about the transformation of how you restored your own dignity, your freedom, and your self-esteem, and how that happened through reading the book on cryon and then how you wrote your own book the memoirs of a sex slave survivor and all of those awards that you got which really helped to restore that dignity and the freedom and your own self-esteem and then how you moved from being a victim to now supporting others with your organization called walk with me and you spoke also about the ch- uh, training that you do uh, with the like 60,000 law enforcement officers to date and you talked to a wonderful lesson about not worrying about how you're going to die anymore, not feeling that you're, you're being chased or that you're going to be murdered as a result of you coming out and speaking openly about this. And then that transformation continued where you talked to us about how you met your twin flame, the dreams that you were having of your past lives together, a beautiful story, and that growth of psychic awareness and how trafficking is an example Of what's wrong with society today, and then you finished with speaking about how the answer is love and not judging anybody. I have to say, I've been amazingly impressed by your transformation and how you were able to cope with all of that and turn it around. And before we finish, I'd really like you to give out your contact details, your walk with me organization, so that if anybody is listening who feels the need for support or help with this, they can contact you. Can you go ahead and give your website?
3: Yes, thank you. The website is a little complicated, so the best thing I would suggest is just Google, Walk With Me, Canada Victim Services, and you will get to our website. We are all this. So, Walk With Me, Canada Victim Services.
1: Thank you so much, Timia. You were an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on.
3: Oh, my goodness. What an honor and what a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your show, and I hope to talk to you again soon.
1: Hope we can meet someday.
3: That would be lovely. Okay. I can come and do this show alive in Santa Barbara. <laughs> okay.
2: All right. Bye-bye. Next, bye bye. Until next thank you and God bless. Until next Saturday at eight AM Pacific time. We send you our love, our blessings, and thank you for listening to Ahanu and Angel Rose on the Honest to God series. And as we say, in Ireland, Slon August Benocht they Live
0: This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Anne Rose and Ahanu.